Hey guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits, the Scott Harvath Podcast. It's hard to keep those straight to the, nowadays, Mike. How's it going? <laughs> yeah, it's good, man. I don't know what pod we're recording. Thriller pod, Scott Harvath pod, throwing a the Mitrap pod there. Maybe we'll start a new pod. Uh, your pizza pod or your your neighbor's talking pod, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I'll be honest. I want to get back to some Mitch Rap Pod, but we haven't even heard the title yet of the new Mitch Rap book. Though Kyle did post that he finished the draft, so yes, it's ready yes. to go. We should be getting that title real soon. Would be my guess. Yeah, hopefully sometime in February we get some updates. Yeah. So when, whenever those updates come, we will be lighting back up the Mitch Rap Pod torch. And uh, bringing you some content there. Yes, yes. And speaking of things to come, I scheduled, I should have told you this, I scheduled our next Thriller podcast episode in two weeks to record with our boy Tyler Boer to finish up the Jack Carr series, Doing the Devil's Hand. Oh, good, good. We we talked about having him back on because he likes that one. You yes. know, He likes it more than you do. So, yeah. And another thing that's pretty cool is he got a message from a listener of our podcast saying, Dude, you were an awesome guest. Love hearing you on with the Thriller Podcast, guys. And he screenshotted to me listener feedback that he got for an episode on our pod. So we got to have him back. Great dude. Love talking with him. And it's just great that the fans are engaging and, and really liking that content. So, Yeah, speaking of engaging, if you would like to leave a review on a podcast platform that can, we would love your feedback. Five stars, obviously. And, you know, just to put another plug here, sign up for our Patreon get a lot of exclusive content uh, as well as a patreon giveaway which we're about to do here this month we're giving away a copy of the apostle to get ready for our scott harvath podcast next month yeah for less than the price of a novel a month you can help support this pod help it grow help us do what we do and you know really we just give back because most of the money you know once we cover our costs for the hosting stuff like that it's not like we're rolling in the dough here from this this patreon stuff mike <laughs> so tell them what what we do with those excess funds yeah we've teamed up with operation paperback a nonprofit that donates it's been more than two years now i or? think it's been two years because our first year we partnered with the prostate cancer foundation uh, we were right. able to make a sizable donation there and so it must be coming up on two years we've been working with operation paperback 1300 books sent to troops currently serving and our veterans in veteran homes and hospitals and so that's all thanks to you guys the patrons it's why we have weekly episodes or or more recently uh three or four times a month episodes haven't been getting them out every week and we're able to support this great cause so over a thousand books sent we're going to keep going this year in 2023 let's hit that 2000 mark 2000 books Sent to troops and vets, thanks to Operation Paperback and your support, the patrons. Shout out to Kevin B. He is responsible for close to 500 of those books being sent. So big shout wow. out. Our patrons are awesome. They, they're keeping this thing rolling. How about we give away the book? Let's do it. Yeah. And I don't know if you said it. This is a signed copy of The Apostle. So Ooh, somebody signed. I didn't say signed. Yeah, signed by Brad Thor. So somebody's going to. Be real set for next month when we get to this book. And I have a second signed copy of The Apostle we'll give away next month when we cover it. So let me spin that wheel. George, George M. We love having George follow the podcast. George. Nice. You'll be getting your copy of The Apostle. 
Any any other uh, news we have to? Oh, we have to talk with Deadfall, dude. Right? We got carried away with Mitrap Pod and Thriller Pod. We forgot this is the Scott Harvath podcast. And Chris, let me read to you a tweet just four days ago from when we're recording by the man himself, Brad Thor. He says, "Next week, my email subscribers will be the first to see the awesome Deadfall cover reveal." We're going to have to jump on the mics. We're going to have to give our hot takes once we see that cover. What do you say? Yeah, so at the time of recording, we do not have that cover yet. We do have a, l- a little blurb, which we, we won't go into now, but we'll save it for you know a little mini pod to talk about Deadfall. But yeah, no, I'm excited about this one. Definitely going to have to discuss that. We love a good cover on this pod, so they, they've been pretty good recently. So They have been. Yeah, Near Dark was awesome. Uh, Black Ice, I think, might have been even better. And what was like? Oh, Rising Tiger was super cool with that pattern. Yes. Um, and the texture of it. So. The door, the doors, yes. the gates. Yeah, yes, yeah. the gates, right. You know, one other Brad Thor thing, we might have to jump on the pod. Uh, another bonus episode here. Did you know about his five fast facts blog on the bradthor.com website? Have you seen this? I have to admit, I, I did not did not know anything about this until earlier today. I pulled up the pulled the notes for this episode just to, you know, start looking at it. And uh, I saw that you populated with it. And then I, I went down a rabbit hole in this one. And well, how did we not find this before? Right. So I knew he was doing the five fast facts. And what that is, is at bradthor.com, you know how he loves mixing in history and real life locations and globe trotting. He does for each one of his books, five fast facts, a little blog post about the real world connections to the things in his stories. And I actually had known that he'd done it for the newer books. I think I saw it for Near Dark and then Black Ice and Rising Tiger. So I thought it was like a newer blog trend. But it turns out these things go back to the earliest Brad books. I don't know when they they did them, if they did them along the way or went back and filled them in. But I think we're going to have to kind of relive some of the books we covered. One, we have to score them and readjust the Thriller Pod scorecard. Because we didn't have it ready for the first couple of books that we did. Right. And maybe right. while we do that kind of trip down memory lane, we go back to Brad's blog and see what in the books was real, the real world locations, and some of the historical facts that he based the things on and just have a quick chat about that. Maybe we're almost at the halfway point. We've covered what? I think this is our eighth book that we've done in Brad Thor. There's, yeah, I think so. There's going to be 22 total. So what if sometime in the next few months when we hit that halfway point, we do a look back, a trip down memory lane and go through his blog post and reminisce about the books that we've covered. And we'll probably do a halfway ranking. Maybe we'll do uh, our ranking and yeah, that's a good idea. card adjustments based on halfway through the series. That's a good idea. Yeah, no, I'm just – I pulled up the five facts for, for this book and it's cool to just see – you know, we have a picture of the Muslim pirates on the Barbary Coast, the actual wheel ci- wheel cipher. And it, I wish I had found this while I was reading because it would have been cool to, like, visualize it. You know, the, the Tripoli Monument, yep. Poplar yep. Forest, obviously, is a real place. But I didn't realize that the Bitter End Yacht Club was also a real place. I guess I should have known. But, like, you know, that probably Scott's or <clears throat> Brad's been there. You know, that's he loves to put, you know, on location research uh, in his novels. So. If it says Yacht Club in the title, Brad Thor's been there with a stogie and a bottle yeah, of Pappy. Yeah. You know it. You know it. Come <laughs> on, man. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. So. Well, since you brought it up. Yeah. We are covering 
The Last Patriot. And Chris, I, I, let me just start with this. Why the hell is this book called The Last Patriot? Like, let's be real. I, I don't know where that title comes from. It's, it's out of left field. So I was thinking about this, actually, while I was reading it. And was there ever a line when someone had said The Last Patriot? I, I don't. It doesn't, like, stick out to me. Whereas, like, most of the other titles... When I hear the book title, you know, like typically you, you'll hear the book right. title. And you're like, there I, it is. And there it is. I don't, it didn't stick out to me here. It probably was said. But I was thinking like, is it, is Thomas Jefferson the last patriot? Is. Uh, oh, I wasn't thinking that. Is the guy, you know, the guy who essentially gets gifted with this lost Koran. And he, he's, he's like the, the guy in the very beginning. Salam. Um, yeah. Salam, is and then he at the, the last ending, patriot? Is you're he, talking about the epilogue? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Right, right. Is he supposed to be the last <laughs> patriot? Uh, is Scott the last patriot? Like, you know, I, I don't know. I, I can't even think of having finished the book twice. I literally read it twice because I don't know if this is a book you fully get on the first read. It, it took me took it took it me two times before I really digested what was going on. I still can't see a context where the last Patriot applies. And I, I just searched the text in, inscribed. It is not said anywhere in the book, the phrase last Patriot. It's not last Patriot. No. Okay. I like that feature inscribed. You can, you can search. search exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. I just think that falls a little flat for me. And if it is Thomas Jefferson, why the last, I, that doesn't make sense. Right. Like he's one of the first. <laughs> would he be the, would he be one of the first? Yeah. No, it, it has to be the fact that, um, I think it it would have to be that Salam would would be the last patriot. You know, like the, when you th- reference the epilogue in terms of like what he's supposed to do going forward, which I, I want to get into right. in terms of later on, in terms of if you know this Scott Arvath universe, Brad Thor universe exists again. We've this has never come up again. I guess you know mm-hmm. they they they've never referenced the bombshell revelation of what this guy has to to then you know, release on the world. Or we're jump. I'm jumping the gun. Like, well, that's something I want to ask you. Is like how, how and we won't get to it till the end of this episode. But how do you take that last scene? How do you read into it? And I don't know what comes next in the apostle. I, I frankly can't recall. I don't remember the Salam character and getting the secret being all that big a deal so we're gonna have to track that does this have repercussions moving forward because as we've said scott harvath does stand on its own a bit more than other series where each one is its own story its own action adventure there is of course thread tying them all together but for example we don't even see a lot of the characters anymore like the guy with the scottish accent or that young gun cia officer that we referenced in earlier episodes these people come up every once in a while like parker and finney but let's be real parker and finney are not going to be here five books from now and i'm trying to figure out i don't remember the sargasso project falling i I don't maybe i missed something but i'm wondering how does that end and the old man's kind of stuff and the carlton group grow i feel like we're at this point in the series where it needs that jolt very soon like in my mind, and this might be a hot take, we haven't even come close to hitting what makes Brad Thor Brad Thor yet. Like a lot of this early stuff, I, I'm chalking up and I call it early Brad. And we've said that on the pod. I think this book is one of the last. It's kind of lingering early Brad. 
I'm just waiting for that moment when we, like we got the troll, he wasn't here. You know, when do we get Reed Carlton? That's coming soon. I thought for a moment here, we might lose Gary Lawler, but I feel like we're getting close to this precipice where we fall off a cliff and we go from early Brad to quintessential Brad pretty soon. Yeah, and I I think it's also like just, especially because if we've read, if you've read some of the most recent ones, it's Brad, you know, almost at his finest. You know, I think like looking back to, you know, this from Spymaster and even like the books like right before Spymaster, like that whole lead up to that. And then Laura, I guess everything everything was with the Carlton group is just so fresh in my mind. And I think that's really establishing a universe that's very akin to what Vince slash Kyle has done, or, or even like what Jack has done in his short time or what some of these other authors have done in terms of setting up this universe. You know, think of like James Bond, like having a Q and an M show up mm-hmm. in every novel, right? They're, 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 whereas besides Gary, he's been like the one through line we've had pretty much through every novel so far um you know we've had like scott dip in and out on his females like you know it 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 was almost like a point where it was a new female every novel until we had this most recent three book arc with um tracy tracy but we know she's not going to be like i'm 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 wondering when when does tracy leave because we know he gets engaged with we know he eventually you know I don't know if he marries Laura, but she becomes a very significant member of his of his family. So I'm intrigued, and I'm I'm wondering when we get into Brad's stride. And also, we were talking about this a little bit before the pod. Initially, we were gonna we had been doing these books sort of haphazardly, right? <laughs> Initially, we started we were recording all at once, and then we sort of we liked this idea of doing you know only reading half the book, recording, reading the second half, and we were gonna do this last week. And if we had recorded last, what I, for some reason, I, I couldn't finish, I, I couldn't get through half of the first half of the novel in time. So we had to push it back. And I was down on the book last week mm-hmm. <laughs> and were, yeah. I went back and then because I had, I had whatever time, I just went ahead and I powered through it. And then I went back and I, I re-listened to some chapters because I was, in, I was so intrigued and I actually... I'm glad we didn't because I liked the book better having read it, even though yeah. I was down on the book on the, this is, doesn't make any sense. And you kind of said the same thing after reading the first half, I was down on the book, but after I read the first, the whole book, I liked the first half better, but the second half elevates the book. Like it's kind of like this paradoxical thing. Yep. I agree. And I don't know if it's because, right. This obviously is his, you know, he tr- tried to do it with blowback. And we we go back to our blowback pods. We were not a fan of it. Yeah, but you could definitely tell this is you know Indiana Jones, National Treasure, Da Vinci Code, any sort of Dan Brown novel. You know, National Treasure came out. This book came out in what two thousand eight, two thousand nine. National Treasure comes out in two thousand four. Da Vinci Code comes out in two thousand three. The movie comes out in two thousand six. Obviously, there's Indiana Jones. All those uh, movies have been out. You could definitely tell like some elements of this. He's inspired by that. I think that's one of his inspirations. And then the second one is obviously rooted in history with Thomas Jefferson, right. the founding of the Marines, you know, to bring in that military element of it. I I, I really like that. And I guess we didn't really get into that until the second half of the book. 
diving more into this Thomas Jefferson stuff because like the first half of the book is sort of meeting that Thomas Jefferson professor. Mm-hmm. And then in the second half, he starts having these, you know, soliloquies, epilogue or like exposition scenes where yes. he's like, we're getting this whole download of information. Right. And I really, really dug that. And also, I guess I was also from the get go a little hesitant about this book because of the Islam and like the, not, not not Islam as a religion, but just like the what right, Brad is a white author who's not Muslim, um, you know, writing about this lost prophecy that can change Islam for the good in the future to, you know, essentially get rid of what different uh, extremists have sort of um, taken to, right? You know, that this there's this bombshell that can change a religion for for the good and i was like oh no we're going we're going down this again like and both me and mike have made our comments known about some of the earlier stuff that he said but i think once you get past that and there's like a couple chapters right in the beginning when he dives into this but then when you look back on it as a whole and then you think about all right you think about da vinci code right what's that story about right it's going to piss off a lot of people who are uh christians you know it's essentially like that. It is. Like if you think about it, just it's a work of fiction. It it's is. it's it's a story. Uh you think about I mean, even like the Raiders not um with Raiders, the Ark of the Covenant. What's the last one? Yeah, the Ark the of the Covenant. Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, like <laughs> the fact that you know right. that, that, that could piss off uh, uh Christians as well. Right. Um But this one seems even, to be more of a powder keg, especially currently. Yes. Yes. So I don't know. I'm I'm talking a lot here. What did you we didn't even get into your limerick yet, but what, <laughs> what did you think about his, you know, his this handling. idea of wanting to wanting to comment on Wahhabism, Islam, this, yeah. you know, you, through this lens of this lost surah, right? Yep. As well as his inspiration for the novel. What, what, what did you think about that? Well, I have some thoughts, <laughs> as, <laughs> as you may know. And I'm going to take you through my whole journey, just like you did. You unpacked how you came into this book. And then I I actually have to say, I surprised myself, and I think Brad surprised me, because I was ready <laughs> to shit all over this book. I was... I, I'm reading it, and I'm I'm thinking, I'm like, oh my god, Mike Mike's going to have a fucking field day on this. Right. <laughs> I, I knew you thought I would be apoplectic, because we've said in the past, we I, I feel personally, I speak for me personally, that a lot of things early Brad put in his novels were straight up Islamophobic. I think his lines about there's only good Muslims and bad Muslims and all these other things were overtly political with no purpose besides being antagonistic. And sure, I think Brad has also grown and said that he's grown. I, I wonder if he would, would realize that about some of his early work. But I think some of the lines that were put into stories out of the blue were simply there for the purpose of stoking emotions. And to me, that sure. should have no place in the books and, and wasn't appropriate at times. That being said, when I read this opening quote, and it's the epigraph, meaning it comes before the book even begins. It's right after the dedication, and I see a quote about Islam from a 7th century companion of Muhammad and the second Muslim caliph. I'm like, oh, no. If the theme of this book is Islam, 
I don't know how Brad's going to handle this, and I this might be a book that pisses me off. So the, the, the opening quote is, quote, Let no one of you say that he has acquired the entire Quran, for how does he know that it is all? Much of the Quran has been lost. Thus let him say, I have acquired of it what is available. Which is the whole pretext of this book, which is there's a faction of scholars, Muslim scholars, Dr. Khalifa from the Georgetown Islamic Study Department, Nichols, this history professor, they believe they're onto texts that have been uncovered in a mosque of Sana'a uh, in Yemen, and these texts show a final revelation that Muhammad uh, may have received that could be the most recent chapter or verse, as you said, surah, in the Quran. And it was- Which is verse, important because, right, like- Abrogation. Every- Abrogation, right? right? What they believe in, right? That's a, that's an important context. Right? Yeah, and and so and as Brad describes, and this is one reason I came about or came around to it is because Brad does describe very accurately a lot of the Quranic I, studies, and I agree, and I think that that's what the previous novels were missing, right. like the the yes. fact that he actually backs it up with with more research right. and like is explaining it to us, right? You know. And it's research. Because I'm not. I, I don't know. I barely know my own religion. You know. <laughs> right, right. 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 But from what I've researched, and and some of the courses that I've taken, and I have studied a little bit of Islam and comparative religions, he explains it well. He gives well documented research. It's rather balanced. It's rooted in fact, and it's not there just to be spicy. It's there to serve the novel and the plot. But it's also there to educate the audience, not indoctrinate the audience with his personal political sure. view. It's much yeah. more handled in an educational way, a pedagogical way, as opposed to a proselytizing way, which I think was his approach in the past with some comments on Islam. For example, with abrogation, which is the order of the Quran, and this was accurate as described by Brad, is ordered from the largest chapters or surahs to the smallest. Which means we have no context of the history if you just read it cover to cover. There's no context of which ones came earlier in Muhammad's revelation or later towards the end of his life, and there's no time period. So what Muslim scholars have agreed to and has been the tradition for going back a thousand years has been whatever were the more recent revelations that were in the Quran. And by the way, just to contextualize that – what makes this a really, really explosive topic is that for, like I said, over a thousand years, Muslim tradition holds this is the immutable word of God. The Quran yep. was not written by Muhammad. It was revealed to Muhammad through the angel Gabriel, but every word is the immutable, unchangeable word of Allah. And, and it is what it is. It says what it is, and it all must be true because it is all Allah's words. It's not Muhammad writing it. It's not Muhammad making it up. It is not anybody human writing a story. It's human scribing a story that has been revealed as the word of Allah. So to change that, to amend that, could be very explosive because what you're saying is everything that Islam has been based off of for a millennium can be changed, right? It basically could make the whole system fall apart if you can just change it at one moment or you even study it in history as a historical text. That's a problem because once it becomes a historical text, it's up to the whims of men and by men, I mean humankind, of editors, of evidence, of archaeology, you know. And once it's open to those sort of analyses, some people have a very hard time with that because that can undo what has been the direct word of God. 
Meanwhile, Christians, just to give a counterpoint here, as Brad describes, I think, briefly, which is the Bible is God's word revealed, but through man. It is written by human authors. The stories are told by humans from the perspective of humans. But that story is God working in the world, right? He's working through them, through the narrative. He's he's essentially the conductor of the orchestra, but the writers are playing the instruments, where in Islam, Allah is the conductor, the instruments, the player, everything, right? So it's a bit of a different approach. And I was ready when I heard that this is what Brad was tackling for it to be very antagonistic, and I don't think it was. All of that I just rambled about was explained in a didactic way to inform readers, to engage readers of the real things I believe scholars are debating themselves, and that though sometimes are hot-button issues, they're not hot-button issues because we're trying to anger people. It's because the discussions need to be had, and I think people in the Muslim world would fall on this spectrum on various sides, and Brad is not necessarily picking one, but he's showing you that spectrum through the characters. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's like any sort of argument about history in terms of you know what even what christian scholars argue about christ or about you know the writings in in the bible and you know there's ultimately right the they had a council to decide that these four gospels right right like are going to be the only gospels but there are other gospels out there that ultimately weren't adopted by the church right so you know there's arguments people have in various religions just about it's and i think one of the interesting things that you sent me was that you know these this whole finding in this this um mosque is is real yeah. and like yeah. it's rooted in the you know essentially the plot line of the story is is all real and how they they found these in, it was like this atlantic article from 1999 right that was really long i i didn't didn't have time to read it all but i, I read a decent amount of it and it was very interesting it was in good, terms right? of you know they have these 89 pages and you can by doing the, the forensics, they can see that there's two different texts. The older, t- the the top text is what is almost the Quran we have today, or the, the, that um, people of Islam have today. Whereas, and then you look at the undertext, which was erased and, and written over, is very different. Right. And so, it's obviously people people argue about this. And I'm, <laughs> there was even like a for the longest time they wouldn't let people. You know, obviously this was in uh, Yemen and, and the Yemen authorities wanted to sort of protect this because they could see how by investigating this, there, there could be some, some problems that all these problems are then brought up in this novel. So, you know, I, I think going forward, once you get past all that and you think about, you know, all right, this is a novel, this is, you know, a work of fiction and, but it's rooted in, in this history and, and, and yep. the, these findings. And then Brad explains these things. Yep. And I, I think, you don't get that until you read the entire novel. That's why I think having the whole part one, part two together once we, you know, when we can discuss this, I, I like the book better. Yeah. And I will just add that article you're mentioning by The Atlantic, Brad puts in the author's note at the end of the book. That's how I found the article was Brad honestly and openly says, I got this whole idea from an article in The Atlantic that intrigued me. And so I ran with it, turned it into fiction, and he clearly in the author's note at the end tells you what was fact, what was fiction. Right. And I like that. I, and I like that too. And I think that's very, you know, Dan Brown or Steve Berry or 
National Treasure, National Treasure, I don't think has that. It's a little more playful than this, but. Well, you know, is there a map on the back of the uh, Declaration of Independence? No, there's not. No, like- <laughs> no, right. But it has to be rooted in reality at some level. And I think here, Brad, is rooting it in more reality and actual scholarship, Muslim scholarship, than he needed to or could have in the past. And I'm glad he did that. Yeah. One other angle I want to take. I want here. to talk about Thomas Jefferson. We got to get into right. All right, all right, you give your take. We, we got to get, get to Thomas Jefferson. But to me, this is a big part as well. And I think it's one of the most misunderstood concepts whenever we see in social media or on TV or on Fox or CNN or MSNBC or whatever. And something becomes a hot button issue involving Islam. I think we always miss the differentiation between the religion of Islam and the political movement of Islamism. And Brad is very keen on explaining the two, where in the past he made comments about the religion. This book is very much making comments on the political nature of Islamists, which are not just people of the religion, but people who want to use the religion in a political way to advance a cause that imposes Islamic thought and tradition on the entire world. So there's your distinction. We're not commenting on the religion. We're commenting on the political wing of people who use that religion in a extreme way. So just a quote, because I think Brad writes it perfectly to kind of describe this. He says, quote, you see, Jefferson wasn't anti-Islam. He was anti-Islamist. There's a distinction. He didn't give a damn whether his neighbor claimed that there were 20 gods or no god. As long as the man neither picked his pocket nor broke his leg. Fundamentalist Islam, though, picks pockets and breaks legs. And that's why Jefferson had to find a way to stop it. He was the father of the separation of church and state, after all. But the underlying problem with fundamentalist Islam is that both its political and religious ends teach that the two cannot be separated. The Islamists believe man-made laws are inferior, must be replaced with God-given Islamic or Sharia law, and that all governments worldwide should be Islamic. To me, Brad putting in a quote that well stated shows a lot of growth and why I am down with this book and will follow it uh, because he's spot on. It's the Islamist, the extremist, fundamentalist side of things who impose it as a political philosophy on people that do not willingly accept it is very different than the followers of the religion and just their daily practices and worship beliefs. You know, that is totally acceptable. The fundamentalism and extremism that uses violence is not, and we must differentiate the two things. And I believe he does a good job of doing that throughout the book. Yeah, I was going to ask you at the end of the novel, but I guess it makes more sense for me to bring it up now. Almost like we were talking about how we're wondering – what's to come because we I, I can't remember all the you know brad's also at 21 22 novels right we're intrigued about when the carlton group comes and etc cetera, etc cetera. i'm also intrigued to see this almost seems like a an exclamation point a uh, putting a stamp on a, some, some sort of closure on what he wants to say about this topic and you can I, I think like also looking back at the same time we see that vince is starting to change tactic in terms of who he's putting as as his villains in his novel. You know, and this is around the same time that Brad is is coming out with this novel. And I'm interested to see like, if we go down the path of having, you know, 
this as the main protagonist, like is is, is Islamic terrorists. Uh, obviously, I'm I'm sure we're going to get into ISIS just as like um, right. Kyle has to pivot with that as well. But you know, this almost seems like all right. I, I made those comments in the past. I want to sort of address it here as my as a co- you know as a as a this is a coda, and I'm I'm going to leave it out there, and then that's it. You know, because I, mm-hmm. I, I, I went ahead and I looked at what the apostle was about and it's about like the new president coming and there's a secret in the past. And, you know, we're going to go hardcore political thriller focusing internally on U.S. politics and in that sort of the game. So, yep, I just see this as like a, you know, almost like an epilogue to what he wanted to say yep. about these kind of protagonists that he's been putting in his novels. A hundred percent. And the same way. I think Brad has put that to rest and made his case with this book in a in a very clever way. I think we should put it to rest and talk about this yeah. book. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I, I think it was an important conversation to have, like because that's that is what this book is about. Right. Now let's talk about the action and the plot a little bit more. Yeah. You know, and I don't think we have to necessarily bring up any of that stuff. You know, any of that aspect of, and, of the novel. And there may be some Again. readers. Who want the rah rah? Say whatever you want. Put it in a political thriller. Give me your political philosophy as the author. No, no holds barred. Which is not me, and I did not like when that happened. But there are the readers who appreciate a nuanced take on this, and I believe that happened here. And so I'm glad that we ended with nuance instead of you know antagonism. So, yep, yep. The devil is in the details, and we got the details right here. I think a lot of it. The the one thing, and this links to our Jefferson, is I read another article with the take on, because Brad does say, quote, we went to war with Islam back under Thomas Jefferson in the late 1700s, yeah. early 1800s. And unfortunately, and this is going to take us to the Thomas Jefferson stuff, my take on that is it's a bit of a historical inaccuracy not that his facts are wrong. I think a lot of his facts of the Tripoli stuff and the Barbary pirates and the war was accurate. But I think the conclusions were wrong, that it was Thomas Jefferson going to war against a religion, because he does state that in the book pretty clearly. And that's Nichols's take on it, the historian. It was an economic war. It was very much about protecting our interests in the Mediterranean and the Eastern Mediterranean and the Western coast of Africa now that we did not have protection of the British Empire and the British Navy. So as an independent country, we needed to go to war against the Barbary pirates to basically protect our mercantile and economic interests abroad, as opposed to, I think Brad's trying to massage it as, we went to war with Islam. Our president wanted to go against them. And I was like, I just think that was a mischaracterization that didn't linger, but it's just one that I wanted to bring up. I believe the war against the Barbary pirates was motivated by economics and protecting our sailors and business interests in the region. I think it's also interesting that he noted that before Thomas Jefferson sort of came to power and before he was president and even after he was president, the U.S. was all about appeasement, right? We just exactly. we were paying off these people. Pay the ransom. As soon as he left, we started paying back the ransom again. Yeah. And right. So, it, yeah. It's, it's economic. It, sure. But I think like you can sort of draw – that's what Brad's drawing his conclusion of like an, an ancillary factor of like what was also a motivation right. behind it. The whole raid, by the way, about the secret text, the Don Quixote, which had the notes in it from Cervantes, which was true. Cervantes was 
in a Moorish prison as fighting off the coast of Spain in the Battle of Lepanto. And he so he did see a lot of the torture and he was involved in what went on in those dungeons, which is real interesting. I never knew that Don Quixote and Miguel de Cervantes had that background. That was all true. But the fact that we went to war in Tripoli with this secret like special forces mission back then to break into this palace and, and steal this text. All that was made up, Brad said in the end. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The, the war was cool, but that special forces side mission, which was really kind of neat. Like that's historical fiction to me, right? Like it's a real war. It's a real battle described with the scimitars and the weapons and the leathernecks. They get the name Leatherneck, the Marines, from wearing, you know, these leather neck collars to protect against the, the Muslim scimitars. Like all that was really cool. And that's rooted in fact. And then he makes up a little side quest adventure with special forces. So. There's a little historical, but I like that. I I, I, like I didn't. Yeah. I I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the the that was probably one of my favorite parts of this novel was the Thomas Jefferson history dump that we got and learning about the founding of the Marines and and you know even like learning about that. I ne- I didn't even know that that monument existed, and you right. know, even though I've been I've seen that monument, like right. I've been to the uh, Naval Academy's campus, took the tour, walked around, but I I, I did a personally i didn't do a guided tour so it's probably why i didn't didn't see it or didn't didn't know what it was so yeah, yeah no i i loved all that stuff going down to monticello going down to uva yeah. I, maybe because like I'm, I'm from virginia and so like that kind of stuff i've been to both those places um I, i've never been to poplar forest though that would be a cool place to go to yeah i i didn't notice that was another one of jefferson's haunts or stopping grounds there's also that arch did you ever you when you're driving through that part of virginia you know very southwestern virginia towards bristol and all that there's a like natural arches i think it's called or grand arches. yeah i've been there that yeah, was a jefferson yeah, site i believe he owned it yeah mm-hmm. is it cool because we drove past it but didn't didn't stop and go out to it it's hard to it's hard to like find but you know it's it's a it's okay. 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 <laughs> Go to Monticello. You'll be more impressed. So speaking of the Jefferson stuff, and we're both fans of kind of the same genre, the the Da Vinci Code kind of historical, loosely historical mystery. Puzzle box, stories. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Right. We, we can eat that up. I, you know, I could dig it. I think growing up, what was not the Da Vinci Code, but Dan Brown's other one was one of my favorite books as a kid. Angels and Demons? Angels and Demons. Yes, yes. I thought that one was way better, by the way. But um, I love that kind of stuff. I think Brad did that very well with Jefferson. Was it almost too much, though? Because I totally got into the Don Quixote, and I was like, he wrote notes in the margin, and it's a code, and we can use it as a cipher, and we got to find the book and decode the book. And then it's like, there's also this wheel cipher. Okay, Thomas Jefferson invented this axle with these disks. And if you line up the disks, you, you can get the code to decrypt everything. And it's like, okay, but then there's also a gear on a clock that right, if you look real closely has the bismala, you know, the um, the Muslim start to each surah in the Quran on it. Okay, uh, well, that's cool. Let's take this clock apart. It's not there. And then. All right, let's race over here because the fireplace drawings and the mantle was drawn like this. And we go drive over there and then let's break down this clock here. And then that clock pinches you and you bleed and you have to use your blood because as the clock moves, it's going to draw 
it's going to draw the Arabic words out and then you can read it. I'm probably even missing a couple of layers in there of just the puzzle boxes, right? Like there was this thing with Scott and his dad would use these puzzle boxes, which Thomas Jefferson invented, which seemed to be just a happy coincidence for no reason. So was there almost too much of going down the rabbit hole with one thing leads to the next? And then when they found that dumb waiter, which you turn the fireplace and it goes underneath and mm, was it a little too much for you? No, it wasn't because that's what the story was about. Okay. You know, like uh, if you think back to the very beginning of this novel, right? The only reason that Scott is in this predicament, right? He's supposed to be on vacation with Tracy. Right. And he's gone she, fishing. He's gone fishing. They happen to be at this cafe in Paris. They look over, they see this, randomly this car leave and 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 boom another car shows up immediately and they're like weirded out by it you know scott's like six you know sense about whatever huge coincidence beeping yeah and then he walks out bumps into a guy and notice like notices something awkward about the guy and the the only like the only reason the guy is saved is because scott actually bumped into like you know like or like he turns around and sees that the one guy's looking at the guy like with a piece of paper and it's all like a coincidence. So I think like the fact that, yeah, Scott's dad and him were big into puzzle boxes and that he knows all this stuff about Thomas Jefferson and the fact that they're going, you know, they're essentially doing the whole national treasure thing of going like, all right, we have here and then we, we got to go here. No, this is not it. We need, we need, we need, we were, oh, we were talking about Jefferson's other house. Like, you know, it it is what it is, and that's the story. That's what Scott, Scott that's what Brad decided to to write. And I, I just I bought into it. I was I was bought in, so I didn't mind it. I was bought into because I decided to let some of the coincidences go. I'm like, I'm just going to enjoy this book. You know, you have to. Yeah, you, you have, have to. to. If not, then you you won't enjoy the story. You have to, or you yeah. won't enjoy the story. Exactly. It might lower my buy in a little bit. I'll be honest with you, but that's not the be all end all, right? You can have awesome action and plot scores. Awesome villain scores, good guy scores. Well, but you lose some buy. Yeah, the just, believability of this, yeah. the believability of this entire novel is just very like low. very low. You know, it's one of the lowest of of any of this, this genre. Like, you know, I could believe more so an attack on New York City than I can yeah. this. You know, but it's like, what makes national all all the bridges awesome. in New York City. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, like that's part of the charm. So if you lean into it's the genre, it's the charm of the genre. I'm okay with it. But just objectively, I'm saying it, it went a little too long in the tooth, particularly in – guys, we are going out of order. <laughs> if you stuck with us this far, you got a whole dissertation on Islam. you got a whole bunch <laughs> of other stuff. <laughs> just so you know, we are doing something different to cover this book because it's a bit all over the place, as are we most of the time. It is. It's, it's kind of <laughs> – we, we were talking about like how, how do we – normally we are like, all right, let's go beat by beat and not like give up not give like a plot rehash like we used to do in early aughts of the pod, but more so like follow a consensus storyline and and give a discussion about each, each sort of beat. But this one, it's almost like there's so much going on that I think it would just be one. We would pod for longer than the freaking audio book would be. And and two, it just wouldn't, wouldn't be interesting. Whereas I think, you know, talking about the themes, talking about, particular moments that we liked um, throughout the novel, I think would just be a more interesting discussion to have. And I think once we cover some of these bigger themes and storylines, maybe we get to the scorecard sooner rather than later, because then that's where we can have a discussion on like favorite action scene, 
Or what did you think right. of Osbeck? And what did you think of Dodd as the villain? So we'll get some of this theoretical or these questions and thematic topics out of the way. And maybe use the scorecard to kind of shape up the individual action scenes or character plot lines. While we're at it, though, I I got to say about the action, and we were talking about this earlier, some really good action scenes, a couple that are very typical to this style and the genre of, an, of a political thriller or a, an espionage thriller. Were there, though, too many of them that were not that grand? There were a lot of little quick action scenes to advance some subplot. And when you put them all together, it was really cool and it worked. But I feel like this book lacked the massive action set piece, right? Like, I'm thinking recently we read The Troll at that house and there was this chopper and they tra- and the troll went on the boat. And like there was just some like massive action set pieces. Oh, that was the Brazil, right? At the Brazil, the troll's house in the island in Brazil. I don't know if this book had a massive action set piece. And so while each of the individual action pieces were good, none of them was that epic. Would you say that's true? And would you say that hurt the book? Because I would say it dings it a little bit that there was no real memorable major action scene. Instead, there were a bunch of random times where a guy pulled a gun on somebody or, or you know, or a random shootout, bang, bang, run away. And that just happened three, four, five times where I would have preferred a more bigger, major action set piece. Uh, I think I think it wasn't that style of, of novel. You know, I, I think we, we, were, we were talking that probably the most quintessential Brad, Vince, Kyle political thriller scene was... The book festival. Yeah. That's like quintessential Brad, but like the the scene with Osbeck and his guys with Dodd at Dodd's house, Dodd's apartment, you know, where we're getting like description of tactics and you know like shooting through through walls and, and you know like stuff like that. Where I think like that that was probably the most descriptive action scene, you know, like where where we're actually discussing like what is physically happening and like integrating the tech and and, and all that kind of stuff. Whereas you know, like at the, either at the mosque in, in Paris or at the Grand Palais in Paris or the the bombing, you know, or the various different things in Virginia, right? Everything is going so fast. And I think like the, the pace of this novel sort of elicits not having a drawn out, you know, fight. You know, I, I think like it has to go quick or else, you know, you're just going to get bogged down by, by each sort of, sort of That's thing. That's true. That's a good point when you put it that way. And and some of the action scenes were very classic. Like you mentioned that one seeming like a, a Vince talking about where the shots go and whatnot. And even the opening scene where the assassin sneaks up on Marwan Khalifa. Yeah, that, that's also a very like quintessential scene too, right? Yeah. It, it, maybe it's less action and it's more suspense. Like Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like I think that was a really cool opening scene. It almost – it almost created this sense of, I guess suspense is the best word, not exactly a cliffhanger, but opening up at the Jefferson Memorial with Noor being taken out and Salam being injured, and then cutting to Marwan Khalifa, who's the scholar in Rome, working the Vatican, and what's really cool is when the guy sneaks up on him dressed as a priest, he's like, Father, I've never right. seen you here before. Th- that, that rang uh, angels and demons, that rang angels right. and demons to me. 
so you're right in saying it didn't need a major action set piece because we're changing the genre. It, it's definitely leaning heavy into that kind of suspense story, suspense historical mystery story instead of just a straight political military spy thriller. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Do you, do you, what do you want to talk about? I, I feel, I almost feel like you're, you're right. We should just hop into our scorecard now. Right. Um, to, in order to bring up some of these things, any other like major themes you want to, I guess before we get into that, do you want to talk about like traveling, traveling heavy? Cause uh, we're not, we're not traveling that heavy. I was going to bring that up as one of the themes. I think trying all these different approaches and really a different kind of style here and leaning into the history part, trying to have that very Steve Barry, Dan Brown feel, I think meant there was a little less of what Brad used to lean into, which was the globetrotting. So yeah. we go to a lot of places, but they're not expanded upon as much as others. Like we're in Rome, but that's really the only scene there. It establishes the professor working at the Institute. Like we're going all over Paris. I would say that's where the bulk, that's the setting of this book, right? We're, we're bouncing Paris around and Paris, Virginia. Yeah. And it's really cool. But then we just take a very quick side trip to Baltimore to visit Dodd's apartment. And there's that shootout we talked about. Very quick, we go to Monticello to tie in the Jefferson stuff, which leads us to Poplar Forest. For a short while, we're at Bishop's Gate. We're at Harvath's home, which one person already found out his home and shot Tracy. And now another one is able to actually deactivate his alarm system and knock out Gary. So I don't know how secure this house is. And then at the end, we kind of randomly go to the Bitter End Yacht Club in the British Virgin Islands and St. Martin in the the epilogue at the very end. I'm like, we did some globetrotting. And we trotting. go to Annapolis. Oh, and Annapolis is thrown in there. Did I, Well, one, did I miss any? And two, all of those don't really seem like the typical Brad Thor globetrotting that we've been accustomed to. No, it's normally like all over the place. It was mainly concentrated right in Paris and then all over Virginia, whether or not right. it's Virginia, the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, because he goes to, also goes to the White House, right? Right, right, right. While we lack in sort of breadth of terms of like where we go, I, I, I do think this novel ups the game or, or comes back to what Brad does really well in terms of describing the setting. Mm-hmm. You know, in the past couple of novels, we were getting a lot of settings, but we weren't getting the detail we were accustomed to. Right. I think he comes back to that. I don't know if you, you agree with me on that one, but this almost brings me back to like a lion's, you know, like where we're going all over the place and we're getting great descriptions of, you know, the Swiss, you know, the, the interlocking and stuff like that. Whereas here we're, we're getting descriptions of the various places in Paris. We're getting descriptions of the Grand Palais and then, you know, down in Monticello and, and Poplar Forest, those, those descriptions and even at Annapolis and like describing that and what the Naval Academy is like, and then even like the little, little details of, you know, in St. Martin and, and this, this yacht club, in the Virgin Islands, like, uh, you know, just I think he is coming back to his, his strong point, what he's really good at in terms of describing travel locations. I, I And I really enjoyed that. Interesting. That's a interesting read. I I agree, but also feel a bit of the opposite that he's doing it. But it's almost like a flyby, you know, where Lions, it was quick. Bang, bang, bang. You're here. You're there. You're all over. 
but you're immersed in it. I'm, I'm on the Swiss countryside, you know, or I'm climbing that mountain or we're on the hills in, what was it, uh, Utah skiing. Like you're immersed in it. I did not feel very immersed in any of these areas outside of, I'm going to be honest, Paris, even the like the suburbs where the mosque was, was a Vichy Soubois. I felt immersed there at the Grand Palais with this book festival going on and he's talking to this book dealer who's the heroin addict. Virginia was just kind of, we're flying by. And then the Virgin Islands was squeezed in in one chapter at the end. We're flying by. And I don't know, is is that Brad laying into the traveling heavy segment? Or is it it's just a little too, it's like snapshots, right? It's, it's not motion capture, it's a snapshot. Maybe it's being clouded by the plot a little bit in terms stuff. of shoving shoving in the history stuff yeah like you know that is and that is so intertwined with the, the location descriptions that like it's sort of taken away from it a little bit yeah or like you're not or you know not thinking about them together uh, or i'm i'm putting them together and thinking them as i'm only as one thing so yeah i could see it like sort of both ways okay all right that makes sense well, the only other real things I was going to ask you about are on the scorecard, particularly good guys, bad guys, villains, and whatnot. Should we just jump into it? Because we kind of mentioned plot and action. We'll give our scores on that. And then I think we're going to have to spend some time talking about the characters because I yeah. want to get your take on Dodd, his conversion, his backstory. I want to get Osbeck and Nichols and lots of good things. So let's get plot, action, and buy-in out of the way before we dig into some of the characters a bit more. Sounds good. What did you? What would you say based on everything we're talking about? Plot, action, and buying. So for the action, you know, I I I definitely agree. I would probably have to go an eight, maybe even a seven and a half. Mm-hmm. It's obviously very minimal that we get. I, mean, I shouldn't say minimal. It's like thinly death spread. by a thousand cuts. You know, yeah, it's exactly. very thinly, thinly spread. Spread out. Yeah. <laughs> it's, well, but what we do, but we, what we do get is really good. It is you know? good, like, but it's like Sam says in Lord of the Rings. I feel like too little of butter spread across too much toast. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I agree with that take. But yeah, no, I think like like we mentioned probably all of them so far. But like my favorite probably was either the attack at the Grand Palais, or you know Dodd's Dodd like the mission at Dodd's house that goes awry. Or even like the freaking the very end, like the plot twist cliffhanger thing at the end, where Scott goes to take Dot out, and the freaking sector, like, is he? Is he not, he's not the sector, but he's someone high up at the Pentagon shows up. That was like out of left field. I almost like just wanted to. Oh, that I ro- was not I rolled needed. My eyes, man, I rolled my eyes. It, it was a. I was just like, you know, the novel was like really good. Like we we didn't need that. The fact that there's this guy so in, in the Pentagon who like is working for, you know, the Wahhabists, like, come on, like, just whatever. I mean, I just chose to ignore it at the very end. It was so unnecessary that Ramadan guy was like, who are you? This is ridiculous. Yeah, I don't know. All right. The action was good. I'm giving it a seven. Um, Almost everything you said, it might deserve a little higher. And I don't think that's a bad seven because this book didn't really depend upon action to carry it. It depended on the plot and it depended on the historical stuff. So plot, I, I want to go as high as an eight because I like the See, I want to go as high as a nine. I want to go as high as a nine because I, I was digging I was digging the, the history stuff 
and the fact that, you know, I was immersed in the National Treasure, yeah. you know, Dan Brown aspect of this, you know, Raiders of the Last Ark. Like, I, I and, and that ultimately is what's made, elevated this novel for me. Once I, like, once we got, like, vibing with that, and yeah, we were all over the place, we were moving, but I enjoyed that. It, it was propulsive. Like I said, I didn't read or I couldn't listen fast enough to finish the novel, but then like I was done. I, I texted you like the next day and said, Oh, I'm done. And you're like, Oh wait, I'm, I'm still only like, uh, you know, two thirds of the way through. Right. I, I just, I powered through it. Cause I, I just kept, I wanted to listen to it and, yeah. and I was engaged. So. Yeah. So I got to go eight on plot. I, I think there were some loopholes. I almost could go lower because of the coincidences. If you really do stop to think. I right. think you should ding buy-in on that. Yeah, 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 exactly. All of these are kind of like balanced in that some things were a 9-10, other things were a 4-5. So, you know, where do I yeah, land? That's a, I guess an 8 is, is probably fair. That's why I'm, I'm going, going higher because I yeah. I love National National Treasure is one of my favorite movies. So. No, I I hear you there. So, so I'm going to go 8 there. And then buy-in, I, I also have to go. Probably a 3. I'm going with a 3. I think I was bought in, like you said, to keep reading the story and the plot unfolding. Like I, I did want to know but about the believability Jefferson is not there, and the, yeah. the Barbary pirates. Yeah, believability is not there. And again, the coincidences—you can write them off just to enjoy the book. But when it happens once or twice, fine. Three, four, five times. Eh. And and I got two here, which is why I'm I'm gonna ding it. One, besides the ones we mentioned, when the apartment heats up, he's like, he has a thermal imaging camera. Turn the thermostat on, and five seconds later, the ambient room temperature is ninety eight point five. I'm like, <laughs> whatever. What's what's the normal body temperature uh, or whatever? Yeah, it's ninety eight point five six seven yeah something like that. But like the apartment just that dude has the best HVAC system ever. <laughs> Who's his guy? I want to call that guy. Come do my house, man, because he flips that thermostat and all of a sudden he's hidden from a thermal imaging camera. Granted, he goes in the tub of cold water to cool his body temperature down, but. I it was all so rushed. One other coincidence. There were a few interrogation scenes in this book and one that just I'm like, sure, I'm here for the ride. But, you know, it's like a short but. And a lot sure, of our but, readers yeah. are like, shut up, Martini. Stop nitpicking. Just enjoy the damn book. It's a good book. You know, Daryl's always telling us. And oh, man, I would love to be a Daryl. Daryl's one of our patrons, guys. We love him. We've done some Zoom hangouts. He's always chatting us up on the patron group chat. Daryl's the man. And whenever he talks, it's just like, I love these books so much. I'm just going to enjoy them. And I'm going to go on my walk. It's going to be a beautiful day. And this book is going to be so good. I'm not even going to think about all these nitpicky critiques. That kind of attitude, I, I envy it because I'm the complete opposite. Me too. Movies, books, TVs, articles. I, I just want to break them down bit by bit, hear other people's opinions, engage other people in those opinions. I just don't take things and go, oh, that was fun. I enjoyed it. Like I have to overanalyze and it's a flaw. So anyway, the heroin addict. When Brad, when Scott in the middle of this interrogation is like, I know how I'm going to get him to speak. He's a drug addict. <laughs> okay. Where'd you get that from? And then he opens his pouch and it's got his drugs in it. And he's like, I'm not going to give you these drugs. The whole thing just came out of left field, like Ramadan at the end, that guy from the Pentagon who secretly is working with Dodd. Just 
a lot of these out of left field two coincidences. No, see, I'm I'm gonna push back on that one a little bit because I, I think he was laying the groundwork in terms of this guy being like super sweaty, he super key, like okay. something something was up with this guy, and and Scott being you know his Secret Service background, knowing the ticks, and okay. obviously being in law enforcement, you probably have seen or at least like been exposed to what people are like on various drugs, okay. you know, can, can spot a heroin addict or, you know, Coke addict out of a lineup type, you know, you know Scott's had a, a lot of different uh, experiences in life. So I'm, I'm going to push back on that, that one okay. a little bit. Um, but it was interesting, like interrogate, he throws, he throws like the, out the, the most of it out the, out the porthole and it like causes the guy to almost convulse like and freak <laughs> out. Right. All right, I, I'll I'll give it to you. I I understand that the way it was written, it seemed to just pop out of nowhere. But if you if you slow down, that I guess the tells are there. So, all right, okay. But but then the cops are looking for him at the book festival, presumably because he was a heroin addict. Like, there's so no, many because other... he 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 was involved with like some sort of drug smuggling ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, you happen to find him at this moment in a book festival. It's plenty of other times you could have tracked him down if you had the case to go get him. It doesn't have to be in this public place with two bozos looking at a sheet of paper trying to find his face out of a crowd. Like, well, I I think it has to build the suspense because Scott thinks, oh, is that my face on on the sheet that they're looking for? Yeah. Because we were at the bombing, you sure. know. Like it, it's all coincidence coincidences that are put in place to build this thriller, this this sense of suspense, right? But you lose that. So, verisimilitude you lose that i'm enmeshed in the world and this is going to actually legitimately happen because of the circumstances verse it has to happen because i needed to to build a plot you know so a little too much i think we threw that out the window when we mentioned a potential you know lost sixth revelation revelation of of, muhammad okay of muhammad you know like you kind of just have to like all right, yeah. this book is not going to be 100% real, so I'm just going to roll with it. Like, you were bit by the national treasure bug a little heavier than me. Yeah. Just to you know, comment on, on what you said about you know just enjoying things. Like sometimes it, – it's almost ruined my movie-going experience lately because – 100%. Before movies come out, before – like I'm a big Marvel fan. And like originally I would just – go into the Marvel movies not knowing anything. Right. And then I got into this, you know, big, I'm listening to Marvel pods. I'm listening to people break them down. People talk about, you know, the future and speculate what's, what's going to happen. I especially, I guess, you know, leading up to end game, like, and then once end game ends and then, all right, what's the next step going to be? So I started reading all these, I started reading the plot leaks of yeah. like the next movie. And I would spoil the movie before. So what this last one, uh, Wakanda Forever. I decided I'm not going to read read the plot. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to go into it, and I enjoyed it. You enjoyed I'm, it. More, I'm going to yeah. do that going forward. I'm going to do that going forward. I'm not going to read any sort of for anything. I, I don't want to read the Wikipedia blurb. I don't want to know anything. Yeah. We have so much information at our fingertips right. that it's almost paralyzing now. And like you could say this about anything, really. The fact that you you can't enjoy a book, a novel, uh, even like a podcast. I'll like look at <laughs> like you know some of the bigger podcasts that people have discussions about. I've, I just want to listen to the podcast. Like, yeah. let me listen to the actual thing before I you know start to break it down. Even like we, our podcast itself is at, at times like when we're going to do this dead fall little blurb, <laughs> you know, uh, 
we are playing into this culture a little bit, you know, um, a lot of it, I guess. Um, Podcast but, ruin entertainment. Know. Stop listening. Unsubscribe and give us one star. Is that what you're saying, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. But I mean, you know, there, I, I do think there is something to be said about yeah. Daryl's um, approach, way of life, yeah. w- approach to these, whether it's a book, a movie, TV Absolutely. series, whatever. You can enjoy it more. So. Yeah. Again, we have to thank our patrons, our special operator, Sherry F., our special agents, Daryl, Kevin, George, Matt, Don, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, Mark, and Rod. Please subscribe, rate, and review using your favorite podcasting platform. You can find us at thrillerpod.com, which Mike has made amazing updates to. Go check that out. Or on Twitter and Instagram at thrillerpodcast. And as always, I don't get PTSD. I give PTSD. Not me, but Scott. (laughs) You're canceled for the 10th time. Essentially, all the time. We've been canceled a plenty.